Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Do you ever just feel helpless when you see the brokenness and the dysfunction and the pain and the sorrow and the anguish, the war, the pandemics in our world? You just feel overwhelmed. Like, what can we really do? What can we do for the hurting in Ukraine? What can we do for the grip of those living in fear, fear of pandemics, fear of governments, fear of the future? What can we really do? Today we're talking uh, in our Get Together series about praying for one another and serving one another. Andy, I appreciated your words at the start of the service, and Alex, I appreciated that powerful time in prayer. It's amazing to me how how pertinent these one another's are to the very Sunday that we're preaching them. Isn't it incredible? Steve and I looked at these one another's and he came up with this list, just alphabetical order. (laughs) But then you get to the Sunday and it's like, wow, what, what else could we talk about today but praying for one another? Today we need to serve the people of Ukraine with prayer. 1 Peter 4 and verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. I hope in the months to come um, that we're going to be able to do a preaching series and a campaign as a church that we'd like to call something like Say Yes, the Say Yes campaign. And that we would really hone in on that value that we hold to of engagement, serving. Because we've each been given a gift from the Holy Spirit for the building up of the body of Christ. So where can we say yes? Where can we put our gift into exercise? Where can we plug in and serve in the church and in the community? Serving one another. And then James 5.16, one of the greatest gifts we have as the children of God through the intercession, the mediation of Jesus Christ is prayer. We looked at this verse just a, a few short weeks ago. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. As Andy said at the start of the service, what if we truly believe that? What if we truly believe that our prayers had power, that they were working And that we could do more for serving people through prayer than we could do otherwise. You know, I think think the theme of the service today as we've come to this point is that we just need Jesus. We just so need Jesus. We don't need three tricks or seven characteristics or four principles. We, We really just need Jesus today. Ukraine needs Jesus. Ukraine, Russia, people locked in fear and terror, terror. They need Jesus to stand in the boat of their lives and just say, peace, be still. Not just to the storm, not just to the war, but the storm that's raging within. The war of all wars, the war against sin. 
Jesus was known by people for his teaching, wasn't he? They called him teacher, they called him rabbi, they called him a prophet. But Jesus did so much more than just teach. He healed. He spent time with sinners and tax collector. He was called a drunkard and a glutton. Jesus spent time caring for and ministering to people, not just in words of teaching, but in acts of service. And I want to preach a little differently this morning. I think we just need to reflect on Jesus today. So I've got a few helpful biblical principles and things that you can write down serving and praying for one another, but I really just feel like we just need to focus in on Jesus today, how he served, how he prayed. When I was thinking about this, I immediately thought of the Gospel of Mark. And here's, here's a little lesson for you today, a little bibliography note that you can write down. Each of the four Gospels portray the truth of who Jesus is from four perspectives, four sets of eyes, four different vantage points. The same truth, the same subject, just from four different authors as they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. So, you have the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew is a Jew writing to Jews, and he depicts Jesus as the King of the Jews, the Messiah. You have the Gospel of Luke. Luke is the doctor, the traveling companion of Paul. He focuses on the humanity of Jesus. He talks about his ancestry, his birth, the Christmas story, the early years, and then gets into his ministry. You have the Gospel of John. John, Jesus' beloved. In the Gospel of John, Jesus is portrayed as the Son of God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and was God. All things were made through him. He focuses on seven miracles and the seven I am statements that Jesus made. And then there's the Gospel of Mark or John Mark, as he was known. He got his account, the eyewitness account of Peter, word of mouth. Told Mark all of, his, all of what Jesus had done. Mark focuses on Jesus as the suffering servant. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to dig into it for a moment. So if you turn to the Gospel of Mark, I just want to do a really quick overview and try and get through six chapters of the Gospel of Mark. I heard a few chuckles. Do you remember the gospel project? Do you remember our three-year journey through the Bible, how we'd stand up and preach on a whole book of the Bible in one sermon? We're just going to do six chapters today, okay? Six chapters, the gospel of Mark. We'll see where we get to. Mark chapter 1. Mark begins with Jesus, baptized by a crazy-looking dude in camel's hair, eating grasshoppers and wild honey. Turns out it's his cousin. Then he spends 40 days in the wilderness alone. Quite a way to start your earthly ministry, isn't it? He calls four average blue-collar fishermen to follow him and be made fishers of men. He casts a demon from a man in the synagogue with just a word of his mouth. He heals Peter's mother-in-law. And then look at verse 32, Mark chapter 1. That evening at sundown, that's getting pretty late at night. They brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. The whole city was gathered together at the door. He healed many who were sick with various diseases, cast out many demons. Wait a second. 
you're telling me that late at night, the sun's gone down, I'm getting into my comfy pants and I'm sitting in front of the TV with my bedtime snack, the whole city is gathered at the door with not just one person who needs help, or a few people who need help, but all who were sick and all who were oppressed by demons. The whole city is gathered at the door. So what does Jesus do? Oh, sorry guys, it's after hours, you're going to have to come back. How about 8 a.m.? He heals many. Doesn't that seem overwhelming to you? It's hard to put that in, into context for us today. And let me remind you, this is chapter 1. There's 15 more chapters. Look at the next verse, verse 35. Rising very early in the morning. Do you remember the night that Jesus just had? He's got the whole city at his door. He doesn't get to enjoy his Netflix show or his bag of Doritos. He's spending time healing all these people. That was the kind of night he had. I don't know how much sleep he got, if any sleep. And then he chose to rise very early in the morning. While it was still dark, he departed. He went to a desolate place, and there he prayed. We're talking about serving one another. We're talking about praying for one another. Simon, those who were with him, searched for him. It must have been a long prayer time, don't you think, if the disciples come searching for him? They found him. They said to him, Everyone's looking for you, Jesus. What are you doing? Why do you, why do you think you have time to run off to a place all by yourself? You have the whole city at the door. Do you remember all the healing you did last night? Yeah, well, they're back. Where are you? Everyone's looking for you. There's got to be a link between prayer and serving, isn't there? Jesus didn't have time. I can't stand it when people say, I don't have time. Jesus lived in the same 24-hour clock that we live in. Jesus didn't have time. He took the time. He made the time. He set his alarm, probably not, uh, even after a busy night. He got up before the sun. He got up before everybody else. He goes to a desolate place. He spends time. He takes time. He makes time in prayer. Everyone's looking for you. Do you ever get so overwhelmed with the urgent, like that task list that's always tapping on your door that you forget what's really important? You just find yourself jumping from task to task to task, but not really accomplishing anything of significance. I think Jesus is setting an example for Peter, for the disciples, for us, pausing to pray, taking time, making time, even in a busy schedule, even in a night like Jesus had, to pray. Then there's this leper who comes. We're still in Mark chapter 1. And he shows up falls down on the ground before Jesus, and he begs Jesus to heal him. Jesus reaches out his hand and touches the leper, heals him. Now, why is that significant? Well, there's a couple reasons. You don't touch a leper. Lepers, in this context, in this day and age, they would yell out, unclean, unclean, and they would socially distance themselves from everybody else because they were believed to be highly contagious and dirty. You don't touch a leper. Jesus reaches out and touches the leper. Why else is that significant? Because he just healed a man of demon possession, cast the demon out. He didn't have to touch him. 
He just used a word of his mouth. Jesus could have healed this leper with just a word of his mouth. But it says he was moved with compassion. And here's Jesus, the Jesus we love and serve, reaching out and touching the untouchable. He was moved with compassion. Did you know that 12 times the gospel writers say that Jesus was moved with compassion? That number 12 is significant. We're going to dig into it again before we get to the end of Mark chapter 6. That means Jesus wasn't serving because he had to. Well, I'm the Messiah, so I guess I gotta, right? No, Jesus was serving from a different place. He was stirred. He was motivated and moved by loving compassion. It's that Greek term, splagna. He felt it in his guts, in his inward being, that he just had to do something, and he was motivated out of love. It was an obligation. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Verse 4 says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You remember last summer we talked about the Jesus attitude, have this mind that was in Christ Jesus? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. You know what that says to me? He willingly did it. He gave it up. It's not that the Father forced him or kicked him out of heaven. Jesus willingly emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant. Don't look at your own interests. Look at the interests of others. Serve other people. Put their needs before your own. Jesus willingly did that. He wasn't obligated. He didn't have to. He was motivated by love. You see, when we say, I have to, compared to when we say, I want to or I get to, those words really have power. And that perspective changes things. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. You are called to freedom, brothers. Freedom. No restrictions. The rules, the obligations. Freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, just doing whatever you want. Through love, serve one another. Love is the motivation by which we serve one another. We're not serving one another because we have to. If I'm ever up on this stage preaching simply because I have to, then I'm done as a preacher. We get to serve because we're motivated by love. It's not an obligation. For Jesus, it wasn't an obligation. It was through love. Mark chapter 2. Many gathered around him in the house, so much so that the man who was carried on the mat by his four friends couldn't get in the door, so they dug a hole through the roof and lowered him in. Jesus healed him. Jesus then calls Matthew, the tax collector, somebody that, as a Jew, you don't talk to, you don't associate with, but Jesus calls him to follow him, goes to his home, eats with him, eats with many other sinners and tax collectors. And the religious say, what are you doing eating with sinners? A friend of sinners. Jesus says, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. The sick are the ones who need a doctor. I'm here to heal the sick. Jesus came to serve. Mark chapter 3. Jesus heals a man's withered hand in the synagogue on the Sabbath. You need to just read that story. A great multitude follows Jesus from Galilee and Judea. And look at verse 8, Mark chapter 3. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. 
He told his disciples, have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. Where are my introverts at? Doesn't this just sound like a nightmare? The crowd is so big, it's like, where's my exit strategy? How am I going to get out of this crazy social, it's overwhelming. Doesn't it seem overwhelming? Get a boat ready because this crowd is going to crush me. For he had healed many so that all who had disease pressed around him to touch him. Then he went home. The crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. Not even at home is it safe from the crowd. Not even at home can you get an alone time. There are so many people, they don't even have time to eat. That's overwhelming. I just want you to get the picture of just how overwhelming this atmosphere is. Look at verse, yeah, that was verse 20. Mark chapter 4. Jesus is teaching from a boat. Maybe the same boat, maybe the same spot on the Sea of Galilee. Sounds like he teaches from the boat all day because it gets to the end of the day and Jesus says, let's take the boat to the other side. The disciples start taking the boat. What does Jesus do? He gets down in the stern and he falls asleep. And I mean, can you blame him? Jesus is exhausted. Jesus has been teaching. Jesus has been healing. The crowd is following him everywhere he goes. You get out on the boat, on the lake, and he goes right to sleep. Can't you see Jesus' humanity mixed in with his deity there? Fully God, fully man. The disciples wake him. Don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you care that we're drowning? Help us, save us, serve us. Jesus stands up and he calms the storm. Then they get to the other side, Mark chapter 5. I think it says just those words, when they got to the other side. Do you ever think about what life is like on the other side? Man, when we just get through the pandemic, then, and then you find out that war is breaking out in Ukraine. Do you ever think in a busy season, if we can just get through this month, if we can just make it through these bills, if we can just get through, I have a terrible time thinking that way. If I can just get through this, ah, then we can relax. Then things will be, I wonder if that's what the disciples thought. Let's get through this storm. We get to the other side. We get to the beach. Do you remember who met them on the beach? Who was it? Mark chapter 5, the demoniac of the Gadarenes. This guy is so demon-possessed with legion, this, this multitude of demons. He's breaking chains. He's screeching out. He's cutting himself. He's living among the tombs. I can just picture the disciples pulling the boat up to the shore, and they look up and think, no, I'd rather go back in the storm. And Jesus gets out, and he heals that man. Cast the demons into the pigs. He has compassion on him. He serves him. And then the people of the country say, no, you can't stay here. They're so afraid. They get back in the boat. They head back to the other side. And guess who's waiting back on the other side? The crowd is there. A great multitude, the Bible says. And this is the crowd where Jairus comes his daughter's 12 years old and she's sick and he says, Jesus, you need to come and heal her. Jesus starts to go with Jairus. 
And in the process of going with Jairus, that woman who's got the issue of blood for 12 years reaches out and touches the hem of his garment. And instantly she's healed. And then Jesus stops because he knows power has gone out of him. I want you to remember that part because we're going to talk about it in a moment. And he says, who touched me? And the disciples said, you see the crowd thronging about. I just can't even fathom all of these chapters, all of these instances, and having people just pressing in on you. My anxiety and stress levels just go through the roof even thinking about that context. And here's Jesus. This woman touches the hem of his garment. He feels the power go out. The servants come to Jairus and say, don't bother him anymore, your daughter's gone. Jesus heals that girl. Jesus heals that woman with the issue of blood. He senses the power has gone out of him to heal that woman. And you know what that's like in a a much less miraculous sense. When you spend time and serve people and give of yourself and help and serve and help and take every opportunity to serve and help and give of yourself, the well kind of starts to run dry, doesn't it? You start to feel a little overwhelmed. The power has gone out. You're depleted. Your resources are low. We know what that feels like. Hold on to that thought. I want to go back there in just a moment. So we've made it to Mark chapter 6. Here's where I want to hang out and spend some time. He sends out the 12 disciples. They're on a bit of a missions trip. And when they return, he tells them this. I love this. Mark chapter 6, verse 31. He says to them, get these words. Think about this context we're talking about. How overwhelming and just this crowd all around him, 24-7. Come away by yourselves to a desolate place, and rest a while. Doesn't that sound good? Many were coming and going. They had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves, finally. Time for some vacation, time for some R&R, time for some rest. This is how I recharge. Give me my alone time. Give me some food to eat. Give me a space by myself. That's how I recharge. I'm a little introverted that way. I don't know if you're extroverted, you recharge off of other people. But every now and then, for some of us, more often than not, we need some alone time. We need some good food. We just need to rest and relax and recharge. Doesn't that sound good? Jesus tells the disciples after they get back from this missions trip, come away. Look at verse 33. Oh, how the story changes. Now, Many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there, where? The other side of the lake. They ran there on foot from all the towns and they got there ahead of them. Get this picture. How do you think the disciples' attitude was about this? They're in the boat, they're making their way across the lake and they notice these people on the shore. They're just like running and they're pointing and they're waving and some people are running ahead and some are falling behind and That's odd. Do you guys see that? What are those people doing? And they watch them all the way around. And then suddenly it dawns on them. They get to the other side. And look who's waiting for them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. All the people that they left to get away by themselves for a while, beat them to the other side of the lake on foot and were waiting for them when they got there. Does that not just, like, that overwhelms me. 
I would have lost my cool long before this and said, look, I just need time. I'm going to turn off my phone. I'm going to get out of here. I just need time to myself. And Jesus, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he has compassion on them. This isn't obligation. This isn't duty. This isn't I have to. He loves them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Jesus, when is enough enough? I I thought you said that it was rest time, relaxation, recharge. You're really going to serve these people? Why? Jesus says, because compassion calls me to it. They're lost. They need help. So he teaches them. Not just for an hour. Not just for two hours, three hours, four hours. He teaches them all day. Keep in mind, he just got teaching them and serving them and healing them day after day after day after day. And here he sees them again, has compassion, and teaches them all day. Are you seeing a pattern? Look at verse 35. We'll keep on moving. When it grew late, he's been teaching all day, his disciples come to him because they've had enough. Aren't the disciples so much like you and me? This would be me, okay? Who's going to go talk to him, draw? Oh, I got the short straw. I guess I'll go talk to Jesus. We'll see if we can get out of this and have that rest and relaxation we were talking about. Jesus, this is a desolate place, and it's getting late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. Oh, can we send the people home now? They're hungry. We're hungry. Maybe it's time for a break. Maybe it's time for that rest that we've been talking about. Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. Now let me give you some context. They've been teaching all day. They were just on this missions trip. When Jesus sent them out, he said, don't take any extra tunics, any extra food. Don't take an extra pair of sandals. So they did, what what did they have? And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. Wouldn't you want to say, like, uh, do you remember how you told us not to take anything extra? Not even an extra tunic? Do you know what tunic was? Tunic was underclothing. Don't even take an extra pair of underwear. And now Jesus is telling them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? I wonder if 200 denarii was all that they had. Look, Jesus, this is all we have. Even if we use this 200 bucks to go into town, buy food, how many people is that going to feed? 10? We have 5,000 people here. (laughs) Oh, I love it. I mean, I, I absolutely hate what it feels like to be in that position where you have nothing left to give. All my resources are depleted. I'm tired. I'm hungry. I'm exhausted. Jesus what, what do we have to give? There's no way. How are we ever going to feed this many people? How can we ever care for so many people? It's not possible, Jesus. What do you expect from us? Jesus says in, in verse 38, he said to them, well, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. <laughs> I could just picture the disciples like, okay, we're going to go take a look. Let's see what's in the bottom of the bag. And when they had found out, they said, look, we got five pieces of bread. We've got two little fish. 
That's all we have. Now, this isn't the little boy's lunch. The little boy's lunch takes place a few chapters when they feed 4,000. This is the feeding of the 5,000. This is their own reserve. This is all that they personally had after this missions trip, after this whole day of teaching the boat ride across the lake. That's all they have. Have you been there? Serving is, is like totally overwhelming. Not only the time you've spent serving, but how many more people are left to serve and how little you have to give. Jesus instructs the crowd to sit down in groups of 100s and 50s, which is always interesting. I wonder if Jesus is breaking up this massive crowd into bite-sized pieces. Because when you look at your task list as a big mountain that you're never going to overcome, you're never going to overcome it until you break it down into bite-sized pieces. There's, there's a little principle for you. Mark chapter 6 and verse 41. Look at what Jesus does. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looks up to heaven. He says a blessing. He broke the loaves. He gave them to the disciples to set before the people. He divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. You know the story. That wasn't a punchline to you. You knew it was coming. You knew the people would be fed. I wonder what Jesus prayed. The term blessing simply means a good word. He looks up to heaven and he gives a good word. So what is prayer? Prayer is releasing what you have. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish from the disciples. Prayer is releasing what little bit we have. And then Jesus looks up to heaven. The Greek term there simply means opening the eyes, recovering sight, being able to see again. It's like resetting our perspective. Psalm 121 and verse 1. How many know this verse? I lift my eyes up to the hills from where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. Lifting your eyes up to the one to whom your help comes from. 2 Chronicles 20, 12. We are powerless. Don't you sense that in this passage? And Mark, we're powerless before this vast army that comes against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. I love what that pastor in Kiev, Ukraine said. Ukraine on its knees is stronger than the enemy on its feet. Isaiah 40, 26, you know, 40, 31, mounting up on wings like eagles, run, not grow weary, walk and not grow faint. Lift your eyes up on high. Who creates all of these? I think he's talking about the stars. He leads forth the starry host by number. He calls each one by name. Because of his great power and his mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Perspective. Prayer shifts our perspective. Are you guilty of this? Someone needs help. So you take your backpack off, you unzip it, you reach in, here you go. Somebody else needs help. Oh, good thing I got my backpack. Zip, grab something, there you go. A few more people need help. Well, let me keep going here. And then all of a sudden you get to the bottom of your backpack. But there's more people to help. I've only got a few baguettes and some sardines left. Jesus says, give me those too. And then shift your perspective to the source of all life, power, and might. He looks up to heaven. He says a good word. Why do we so often exhaust all resources and then our last resort is prayer?
I wonder at what point the miracle actually took place. Let, let me ask this question. Who fed the 4,000? I'm open for answers. Who fed the 4,000? God? Any other thoughts? Who fed the 4,000? Jesus broke the bread and divided the fish. Where did he get the bread and fish? He got it from the disciples. After he broke the bread and fish, who did, they, who did he give it to? He gave it to the disciples. And then who did the disciples give it to? They set it before the people. You know, that term set before the people is basically to wait tables. That's what a servant is. That's what a diaconos, a deacon, a servant actually is, somebody who waits tables. I wonder when that miracle actually took place. Did it take place as the disciples were giving Jesus the food? Did it take place as Jesus was blessing the food, looking up to heaven? Did it take place as Jesus was distributing the food to the disciples? Or did it take place as the disciples were carrying this food from group to group and thinking, this is going to be so embarrassing when this runs out. And, oh, look, we made it through one group. Okay, we made it through two groups. And the food never runs out. Who actually fed the 4,000? Whose hands did it come from? Where did that food originate from? It's kind of a trick question, but the disciples served the people from their limited resource through Jesus' power back to them from their hands to the people. That's service connected with prayer. You think of Elijah and the widow's oil. You know, we've just got a little bit of oil and flour, just enough for one last meal, and then we're going to die. And she gives the last bit of oil to Elijah, and it multiplies, and they're able to sell it. They're able to pay their debts. Incredible story. God, God's provision. Prayer isn't just releasing your resources to the hands of the Father. Prayer isn't just changing your perspective, getting your eyes off of yourself and onto Jesus. Prayer is access to another source, a greater supply, an endless resource. Just like when that woman with the issue of blood touched the hem of his garment and power went out from him. There's a different source that we can access through prayer. Look at John 14, 16. Jesus said, I'll ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Asking the Father and the Father gives a greater resource. Look at Luke eleven nine. 9. Jesus says, ask, it'll be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, the door will be opened to you. Everyone who asks, receive. The one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, the door will be opened. Access through prayer. Hebrews 4, 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I don't know about you, but going through these first six chapters in Mark, this sounds like a time of overwhelming need. And Jesus pauses, takes time in prayer. Prayer is access through Jesus, our mediator, our intercessor, access to the source of life itself. And then let's end on this verse right here back in Mark chapter 6, verse 42. They all ate and were satisfied. 
They took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. Those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. I just cannot get over the extra, the abundance. And how those 12 disciples who carried that food to this crowd were able to collect 12 baskets full after everybody had eaten and was satisfied. What if the disciples hoarded that little bit left in their knapsack for themselves? You know what, Jesus? We don't have enough. We're going to send the crowds home hungry, and we're going to stay up here, and we're probably going to be hungry because this is all we have. The disciples weren't hungry that night. The crowd wasn't hungry that night. They were satisfied. There was enough left over. Twelve baskets full. That blows my mind. It'd be such a poverty mindset to hoard what little resource we have for ourselves, instead of giving it to God and watching him multiply it and bless a multitude with it. So a couple thoughts as I've finished. Maybe you're thinking today, look, you don't realize how difficult this pandemic has been on me, my family, my job, our bank account, our resources. We're depleted. Mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually even, we're just we just feel like we're at our end. We don't have anything to give. So when it comes time for calling us to step back into a ministry at church, when it comes time for, for an opportunity to give for people in the community who need help, you know, just give us some time. I totally feel that. I resonate with that. But what if you gave what little you had to Jesus? You shifted your perspective up. And you access the wealth and resource that not only meets the people's needs around you, but meets your need yourself. Because the crowd wasn't the only ones who were hungry. The disciples were hungry too. Maybe your heart is breaking for war in Ukraine. The thought of millions of people displaced. Refugees fleeing. You know, that pastor that Alex read from, uh, he was talking about people taking refuge in bunkers, but now the bunkers are full. So people are taking refuge in, in subways, but now the subways are full. Families are separated. There's tens of thousands who will probably not make it through this. What can we do? What do we have to help, to send, to give? It's just totally overwhelming. But what if we truly believed that through prayer, we have access to the one who can not only meet their need, but save their soul for all eternity. What if we believe that today? Would you join me in prayer? Oh God, we feel so helpless. I feel so helpless up here. God, we feel like we've been through so much in the last couple years, and, and we have been. And I think about how you said in this world we will have trouble. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. 
and sometimes it just seems like you're out of the frying pan and into the fire and there's just more difficult news to replace old difficult news and God it can be so overwhelming it just feels like a crowd of people knocking on the door everyone needs your help but you have nothing to give God help us to remember in prayer that we have access to a source that's so much greater and more powerful than ourselves and when we look around at the army and we feel hopeless and helpless We have our eyes fixed on you. God, help us to get our eyes fixed on you in this season. Jesus, we want this day, this this month, this year, we want our lives to be all about you, focused on you, unified in your message, your cross, your love for the world, your message of hope and healing to the nations. God, we pray for Ukraine today. We pray for Russia. We pray for those areas in Europe that will be receiving refugees and and offering support, and oh God, I just pray that you would work through this, Father. God, we know that that you are able, as we sang in that song, even in bare and desperate seasons, you're the rock on which we stand, God. Thank you for how you love us today, for how you love Ukraine, for how you love Russia. God, we pray for healing. We pray for salvation there mightily today, Father, that as churches gather today and as churches are praying that that your church would be activated, your message would be powerful and palpable and change hearts and lives and, and shift the narrative of this war that's breaking out in Europe. God, I pray against the hand of the devil today. God, we thank you so much that You own the cattle on a thousand hills and you have resources enough to care for every human being on the face of this planet, past, present, and future. God, we thank you that your gospel message is for each one today. Pray there'd be many who would accept it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.